Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So if you've been with us the uh, last couple of Advents or so, you may recall that um, the second Sunday of Advent is um, sometimes called Bible Sunday because of that wonderful scripture-based collect that Archbishop Cranmer composed at the time of the Reformation. And if you've been with us the last two or three Bible Sundays, you may recall that I've issued something of a challenge to the parish with respect to Bible reading. And specifically, I've challenged y'all to either read or listen to the scriptures in larger chunks at a time. Because after all, there's not a single book in the Bible that is longer than a football game or one of those really epic superhero or fantasy films. (laughs) Several of you since then, over the last couple years, have told me about some of your experiences doing just that. And one of the ones that has come come across quite often has been a a very popular uh, Roman Catholic podcast. I believe it's the most popular Christian podcast in America right now, where um, a a particular priest is taking you through the Bible through the course of the year. And it's been very, very helpful for a lot of folks, um, you know, whether, whether you're Catholic or not. And I do think Archbishop Cranmer would be proud. <laughs> that, that is part of the reason why we have a prayer book in the first place, is to do that very thing with the technology they had back then. Well, one of the things that happens during Trinity Tide uh, from time to time is that we do get a series of weeks that are going to build on each other, where we are going to actually take bits of scripture in their course, rather than just grabbing a little bit here, grabbing it there, taking pericopes um, without much context over the weeks, we do have a few times a bit of a course of reading. So this week and last week is a good example of this. So last week's gospel was from Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is eating with some of the religious leaders, the, the rulers of the Pharisees, And he tells a series of parables about the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And he tells how God will invite those who are least expected to that great feast at the end of days. That great eschatological meal. And we also talked last week as part of that passage about the dangers of making excuses when God calls us to his kingdom. We don't want to be like those original guests who ignore the invitation because we're distracted by the cares of the world, making excuses. Don't let the things of the world keep you from the world to come. So the rest of Luke 14 tells about, Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. He he basically tells us that God doesn't call us to a blind faith. He never pulls a bait and switch on us. God tells us it will take sacrifice to follow the Lord Jesus, but that reward of eternal life is worth the cost. So today then picks up at the next passage, the beginning of Luke 15, and it naturally flows from those stories from last week, from the previous chapter. Jesus has moved on from that great supper, and he's being followed as typically by crowds. And then once again, just like last week, the Pharisees missed the point of Jesus' ministry. And then he tells again three more parables 
This time it's about finding that which is lost. So our gospel for this morning tells the first two of those parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. The rest of Luke 15 is the well-known parable of the prodigal son, which has sometimes been called the gospel within the gospel due to its profound and clear presentation of the good news of God's mercy. So if last week we saw that Jesus was inviting those who are least expected into the kingdom, today he goes beyond invitation and he is actively seeking those who are lost. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Uh, You can find this on page 193 in your prayer book um, or in your pew Bibles at Luke 15. And we're going to see the first two verses set the stage here. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, in his classic tome, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, 19th century Anglican priest, historian, and convert from Judaism, Alfred Edersheim, he talks about... Um, the context, what's going on in Jesus' day in the first century. He talks about all the different kind of parties of the Jewish people, uh, the differences between the Galilee area and the Judean area. And he tells us that with the Pharisees, he says there is a twofold object of association. He says this, the twofold object of association is to observe in the strictest manner and according to the traditional law, all the ordinances concerning Levitical purity and to be extremely punctilious in all connected with religious duties. So he's saying that the goal of the Pharisees was strict holiness with respect to the scriptures and the received tradition down to the minutest detail. Now, there's a sense where we can admire that about the Pharisees. That aim of the Pharisees is not a bad thing at all. After all, um, holiness is a good thing. Piety is a worthy goal. But this is the source of their grumbling in today's passage. The tax collectors, the publicans, as our prayer book in the King James puts it, Uh, These are folks who are traitors to their fellow Jews. They're collaborating with the pagan oppressors to take away the wealth of their countrymen. They're not just doing their duty. They're not just collecting taxes. They're doing more. (laughs) And, And Rome incentivizes them to steal from their countrymen, collaborate in that economic oppression. And then the sinners, these are folks who are notorious for, uh, well, for sinning. Can holiness and unholiness have any fellowship? That's the concern of the Pharisees. Shouldn't Jesus be setting a better example for his apostles? What if he hurts his witness? Or worse yet, they might say, what if he hurts our witness? After all, just last week, he's at the Sabbath feast Leading with one of the leading Pharisees. Just in the previous chapter, he's hobnobbing with the, the top folks and the Pharisees. Isn't this going to hurt our reputation? Make us look like we are tax collectors and sinners. Don't these sinners have a choice in how they live? It's not like they don't have the law of God. Shouldn't they know better? 
And wouldn't it be better if Jesus was strict with them, laid down the law so that they would see the error of their ways? That's what's going on in the eyes of the Pharisees. But they are, as we said, missing the point. In telling these parables, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, God's compassion for and desire to rescue the lost. Now, sometimes those who are lost are obvious, like those tax collectors and sinners. These folks we see are already being drawn to Jesus because of that compassion. In the, uh, in the, in the 17th century, there was a popular collection of um, an abridgment of early Reformation writings that was called the English Annotations. And that, uh, that book said this about the passage. It said, these folks came as the sick come to a physician to be healed and to be saved. They see the problem, right? And they're coming to get the problem fixed. But other times, the lost are folks who think that they're holy, but they have not yet realized their spiritual poverty. They don't realize that they're missing the great banquet we talked about last week. For these folks, which includes the Pharisees, Jesus is telling the parables so that they would see the mercy of God. So verses 3 through 7 are the parable of the lost sheep. Let's look at uh, verse 4, where we kind of get the beginning of this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So sheep are not really known to be the smartest of animals. But God uses that metaphor throughout the scriptures for his people. (laughs) We are often compared to wandering sheep. And, And the thing about sheep is that they often find themselves lost and they're none the wiser for that. You know, there was a flock of goats, and goats are a lot smarter than sheep. There was a flock of goats that was next door to our parish in New Braunfels, where I was ordained, um, kind of some farmland. And every time that fence broke down, those goats would find themselves caught and stuck and have to be rescued. Every single time. They never learned. Sheep are even worse. (laughs) The prophet Isaiah says, In in chapter 53, verse 6, he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. In verse 5 of our gospel parable, we read what happens when the shepherd finds his lost sheep. It says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Lord Jesus lifts us up. He lifts up our griefs and sorrows and he places them on himself. St. Ambrose writes, Let us rejoice that the sheep that has strayed in Adam is lifted on Christ. The shoulders of Christ are the arms of the cross. There I laid down my sins. I rested on the neck of that noble yoke. So if this metaphor of the sheep, if we as sheep look a little bit foolish with our, with our wandering and being none the wiser, the imagery of a lost coin is both better and a little bit worse. Let's look at verse 8. Skip down to the next parable. Or what woman having ten silver coins 
If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. So the word here for silver coin, silver piece in, uh, in, in our prayer book, the King James, is drachma, which was a coin with the uh, value of approximately 10 days work of, worth of pay for most folks. So that's, that's a very valuable coin indeed. Losing a drachma would be like misplacing your biweekly paycheck. And I don't know about y'all, but I can't afford to lose a paycheck. <laughs> just misplace a paycheck. I've known a couple people in life who uh, just up and don't cash their checks sometimes because they're just so far ahead. That ain't me. I bet that ain't most of y'all. <laughs> most of us are not in that case. By comparing us to a drachma, the Lord shows that we are indeed valuable to him. Valuable enough to metaphorically sweep the house clean by candlelight if necessary, doing everything possible to find us. However, that's the good, that's the good part about that metaphor. That's the better part. Here's the worst part. Sheep can theoretically wander home, right? I mean... Maybe. (laughs) They often don't, but they could. They might lose themselves back home. But a coin stays lost until it is found. It can't move on its own. St. Paul tells us we are dead in our sins. We're not just sick. We are dead in our sins. We need new life. Only God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, can raise us from death. Only by divine intervention can we have new life. We cannot save ourselves. So now upon finding the lost sheep and the lost coin, the searchers call their friends and neighbors to celebrate. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Back to the first parable. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in verses 9 and 10, we have a similar thing with the parable of the lost coin. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, as a young Christian, I have to say that I found the conclusion of this parable a little bit troubling. After all, wasn't I trying my best? Didn't I avoid getting in trouble with my parents, with my teachers, and at least as I assumed, with God? Why wasn't I getting a party in my honor? Why are we focusing on the one that was doing all the bad stuff? Well, just like the elder brother In the next parable, the rest of the chapter, just like the Pharisees here, I had missed the point. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Now, on the one hand, this warns us against spiritual pride, and which is something that the scriptures tell us is an absolute recipe for disaster. You know, God resisteth the proud. Pride goeth before a fall, right? But on the other hand, And when really, that's the reminder I needed. (laughs) And often I still need, right? That's the reminder that we who come to church every Sunday often need. 
But there is another side of this coin. On the other hand, this reminds us that our lost friend, our lost family member, maybe a lost child or a lost spouse, or even that lost politician who's driving you nuts on the news, or that dictator on the other side of the world who seems to be making everything so bad. Each of these folks are waiting to be found. So pray for the lost in your life. Do so often, do so by name. Show them Christian hospitality and charity, witnessing to how Jesus makes a difference in your life. Share that good news of Jesus. Shine the light of the gospel. Remember St. Monica, the mother of St. Augustine. It's one of my favorite stories in church history. She prayed 30 years for her boy. And if you read Confessions, Augustine was not on a good path when he was, before he was with the Lord. He talks about um, stealing just because of the thrill of it. He talks about uh, you know, immorality just for the thrill of it. Not even because he... He wanted it. It was just fun to do the bad thing. But after 30 years prayer, the Lord gets a hold of him and he becomes the greatest doctor of the Western church. Everything we do as Western Christians goes back to Augustine. So shine the light of the gospel. Most of all, shine that light of the gospel into your own heart. Light that candle and watch the Holy Spirit revive and strengthen you no matter how far you or your loved ones stray. Now, sometimes this is hard work, like a shepherd braving pits and beasts and thorns to find a lost little lamb. Sometimes we look silly, like a housewife tearing apart her cottage with a dustpan and a candle to find that lost coin. But remember how God the Son humbled himself to take on silly flesh like ours with all the craziness that goes along with mortal life. Remember how the good shepherd, the hard work that he did for us in his passion and his death, braving, as the creed says, even hell itself, that we might be redeemed. So knowing that the Lord Jesus has blazed the trail, let us go and do likewise. Knowing that he first loved and served us, Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord as well as to love and serve our neighbor in his name. And it is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost that we say these things. Amen.